This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Elevating creativity, focus, mood stabilization, sound sleep, general emotional and mental wellness, and overall fulfillment. Valeria Tellez interviews Dr. Anna Yusum, the author of Fulfilled, how the science of spirituality can help you live a happier, more meaningful life. Dr. Anna Yusum is an internationally recognized, award-winning, Stanford and Yale-educated, board-certified psychiatrist and executive coach, with clients including Forbes 500 CEOs, Olympic athletes, A-list actors and actresses, and the chairs of academic departments at top universities, Dr. Anna Yusum has helped over 1,500 people in 70 countries achieve greater impact, purpose, and joy in their life and work. On the clinical faculty at Yale Medical School, Dr. Yusum is presently creating the world's first spirituality and mental health program at Yale. She has published over 100 articles on the intersection of medicine, mental health, spirituality, and well-being. She is a frequent guest on CNN, Fox News, ABC, and other news outlets, and has appeared on hundreds of national and TV shows, radio programs, and podcasts. Meet Dr. Yusum at AnnaYusum.com. Here is the interview with Dr. Anna Yusum. In your own words, who is Dr. Anna Yusim? Uh, so, Valeria, I am a psychiatrist and I practice in New York City and Connecticut. I am also a practitioner who integrates spirituality and mental health to help my patients, my friends, my family to elevate their consciousness and see things in a different light. I'm also an author. And I wrote the book, Fulfilled, How the Science of Spirituality Can Help You Live a Happier, More Meaningful Life. And I'm currently working on my second book, which is on the science of miracles. That kind of inspired me to ask a question about miracles. What are they? Yes, that's a good question. And people have been asking that question from a spiritual perspective, from a medical perspective. And my definition of a miracle is something that is highly beneficial and rare and essentially an event that is very statistically improbable. It's Mm -hmm. not something that's impossible because we know that miracles happen all the time. There are spontaneous healings from illnesses. There are miraculous cures from many different diseases. Obviously, there's been miraculous uh, breakthroughs 
from in spiritual circles, in business circles, in science, in um, in medicine, and yet they are still rare. But because they are such a big deal when they happen, we do hear about them. And so it's statistically improbable, but they certainly happen. And my question is, how can we welcome them into our lives? How can we Mm. create more of them? And it's really not like the answer to that is it's not something you can will per se. It's something that you have to create the situation and circumstance. And then you expect and intend, which is more of a process of surrender than it is an Mm. active process of being willful and manifesting per se. That really, to me in itself, is a miracle, isn't it? Very much so. Very much so. Because we live in this world where everybody's trying to make everything happen. And it's wonderful. And often we're able to do just that. And we live according to our will and according to what we believe is, you know, our greatest good, or at least what we most deeply desire. But sometimes things don't work out. And sometimes our will is not necessarily the divine will. And so the idea of creating miracles is figuring out how to align your will with the divine will and to do so in a, through the process of surrender, to put forth an intention, but release your attachment to the outcome. Have you experienced miracles besides the surrender piece? Have you been through them? Yeah, I feel like, you know, in my life, I've experienced with my patients in my own life, many miracles. I've had patients Mm -hmm. be able to come off medications from very, very serious illnesses where oftentimes it's incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to get off medications. I've certainly seen that. I've had patients who have been able to beat very difficult cancer diagnoses. So I certainly have seen miracles. And miracles also are on the spectrum with this idea of synchronicity or the meaningful coincidences of life. Also, those things that if we live in a certain way, we could be guided. And if we elevate our frequency by being positive, by being resilient, by not letting depression, anxiety, worry, fear get us down, we can have more and more synchronicities in our lives and become more open to miracles. So 2020 has been this different time, a lot of challenges and change. So for you, what have changed? What insights have you gained, Dr. Anna? Oh, 2020, it was such a difficult year on so many levels because my husband and I, at the very beginning, we both got COVID and my husband had to be hospitalized. It was really within the first week of this and I was so scared. And at the same time, I had COVID as well, but it was even more so because so many of my patients in my psychiatry practice are doctors and first responders. So everybody was completely overwhelmed and beside themselves. And we had some colleagues of ours die in COVID. And so my practice was going crazy. My husband was hospitalized. I was sick. I'd never experienced anything like it. And thank God it all, my husband's completely fine. I'm completely fine. Everyone's, you know, for the most part, gotten through it. And unfortunately, with some casualties. For us, it ended up being a cataclysmic life change because after that, we were like, you know what? I think this is time for a change. And um, we decided to move to the country and we moved to a town in rural Connecticut called Woodbury and got a place with land and Mm -hmm. like really a country house. My husband actually grew up uh, Mm -hmm. in a country house. And for me, this idea of a country house is completely foreign because I've only lived Mm -hmm. in 
you know, big cities, New York City and, Mm -hmm. and also in the suburbs. So, um, but we have been, since we've moved here, we've been just happy as clams and we're like, why didn't we think of something like this sooner? And, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, yeah, my husband chops wood every day. That's his workout. He, and for me, I go hiking and my patients come up here. We go hiking together with patients. It's been really great during COVID to be able to do these socially distanced hiking sessions. And yeah, we just spend all of our time outdoors and in nature. And, and this all came from the darkness of COVID. So that sounds really, really amazing to me that we are able to make these changes in moments of difficulties, of really hardship. And you made that change right in the midst of it, right, Dr. Anna? You're both. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, Mm. yes. And and we both think that had it not gotten so bad, we never would have made a change. But it was from that change that so much light developed. And yeah, so I feel like that for me really is, it's such a telling thing about sometimes out of the greatest darkness, you know, you can have also the greatest light. And A, um, a woman named Sylvia Borstein once said that you should always wonder, this is what's happening now. I wonder what will happen next to always be open yes. to the possibilities of something changing in a really positive, productive, wonderful way that is in line with your vision for your life and your vision for your world. And do you believe that it always takes challenges for us to be able to see the light or to emerge with more wisdom, see the depth of ourselves in life, or we can learn from others in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, there's two ways that we as human beings grow in the world, and that's reactively and proactively. Mm. Proactively is the growth of learning through others, being able to identify and understand what your own blockages are are and going against your nature. So doing those things to consciously and deliberately grow, to be a better person, to elevate your consciousness essentially. And then the other way is grow reactively, which is reacting to life circumstances often through pain. And even if we grow a ton proactively, there's going to be some reactive growth because life sometimes is painful and circumstances will come and surprise you. And so, but the more proactive growth we do, the less reactive growth we have to do. What is to be mentally healthy from your perspective? What does it look like? Yeah. And I think um, people can be mentally healthy in so many different ways. I think being mentally healthy does not mean that you've never had a diagnosis of anxiety, depression, addiction, what have you. But it means that if, if you haven't, great. But it means that you know who you are and you know how to deal with whatever mm. challenges come into your life, including mental health challenges, such as if you're depressed or if you get depressed, then you know what to do to mm. deal with depression, whether it be see your therapist for some therapy, take medication, take supplements, exercise a little bit more, whatever that is. And the same with anxiety. It's not that you know mentally healthy people can have plenty of anxiety. They can have struggled with addictions, but they've been able to overcome and they have an approach to dealing with whatever comes into their life. So I think that's what mentally healthy is. And kind of a more gestalt definition of it is actually somebody who is committed to growth and who understands their own weaknesses and is very aware and aligned with their strengths. So I think that's another definition of mental wellness. I love your perspective. It resonates all the way true to me. 
So in a way, it's becoming, yeah, the first definition, being resilient. That is so important. And like you said, that comes from doing the work before something happens. <laughs> so meditation and also many other healing methods. And speaking of healing, talk to me for a moment about your understanding of what healing is and your approach to healing. Yeah, so healing, when someone comes into my practice in need of healing, usually there is a source of pain. And so pain is often the primary motivator. That's what will bring you to you know, a therapist door or to a healer. But often the symptom that brings you to the therapist is not actually what needs to be healed. It's just a little piece and the trigger, it's the motivation. Mm. Underneath is some sort of soul work that needs to be done. Really looking at yourself and how you view yourself in the world and in relation to your life experiences and figuring out where on a soul level Am I in any way disconnected from my own soul? What aspects of my life narrative maybe don't serve me anymore and do I need to change? What are some of the things that keep coming up in my life again and again and again, often much to my chagrin and dismay and despite my best efforts to change it? And that's what are the soul corrections. So healing is having a sense of what your soul corrections are and starting to do the work on that. Soul corrections. Yeah, this is in your book too. Uh, I remember reading last year. What a wonderful work you do. Thank you, Dr. Anna. Oh, thank you so much, Valeria. Talk to me about the uh, spirituality and mental health course that you collaborated with uh, two other doctors. I'm not sure if she's a doctor, Karen, but talk to me about that. Why the intention and the inspiration to be part of this project? Yeah. So Dr. Eben Alexander, he wrote the book Proof of Heaven about his near-death experience. And he's really been a pioneer in consciousness studies in the world. Um, he wrote the foreword to my book, Fulfilled. And we have since um, done a lot of talks together and also a study together and a course together. The study that we did was looking at binaural beat technology, which is a type of meditation to help people elevate their consciousness and to reduce anxiety and depression. So it's two very different things, you know, to use binaural beats and this specific meditation to reduce anxiety and depression, but also at the same time to help people be able to achieve altered states of consciousness. And the reason Dr. Alexander was especially interested in this is because these are the binaural beats, the kinds of meditations he's used ever since his near-death experience to be able to recreate for himself a similar experience in our waking everyday life. Wow, and, yes. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, once we did this study based on the study, which showed that indeed these very special meditations, oh, and and Karen Newell is the founder of Sacred Acoustics. She and Dr. Alexander have created these meditations together. And so we decided to see, you know, in my patients, how are my patients going to respond? And my patients were actually very helped by them, enjoyed them very much. And based on that, we put together a course for practitioners to teach them about the science of spirituality, but also to teach them specifically about binaural beats and to offer that to them to use in their own healing and ascension work and also in their own work with clients and patients. Wow, so everyone can access the course and benefit from it. Absolutely, absolutely. I remember coming across those um, sounds 
that I, I heard mm-hmm, about binaural mm-hmm. yeah, beats. But I never, I think I listened in the house. They said putting headphones and it's better. But nothing really happened. So I'm wondering if I'm not listening to the right ones. Is there a way, the way you do it, what is different about it, Dr. Anna? Yeah. Okay. So there are a few different kinds. There is alpha, beta, theta, gamma, delta. And um, we focus specifically on alpha, beta, and delta waves. And um, for our study, provided patients with those three binaural beats and different patients prefer different ones. Um, And I could make them all available for you, of course, Valeria, for you to try. And oh, we yes, actually, right. there's a package uh-huh. on Sacred Acoustics where you can try all of them and you can see what resonates with you. Usually the Delta, because Delta waves are the um, EEG signature consistent with deep sleep. So that those usually will calm you. Whereas Alpha is the waking life. So that actually could make you feel even more alert and awake. Beta is can make you feel more focused. Theta will help you to get more into a meditative state of consciousness. But that's kind of, you know, the general rule, but everybody's different. And for different people, they feel more connected to different binaural beats. And you're exactly right what you said. You have to listen um, with a headset because um, a binaural beat means that the beat in the left ear is a little bit different from the beat in the right ear. And it's actually that difference that creates the very special effect on meditation. And it's essentially like you're meditating on steroids. Meditation often takes a long time to assimilate and to change your brain chemistry. But this works much faster because of the binaural beats. What are we looking for? Should we have some expectations? Yeah, yeah. Definitely look for results. And it could be anything. You could feel calmer. The next day you can feel calmer. You could feel reduction in anxiety, reduction in depression. You can feel enhanced mood. You can feel... um, a little bit more open to insights and intuition. You can have a certain vision or visualization. You can feel like something that you've been struggling with for a while has finally like let itself, you know, like released itself from you. I've had patient experience all of that. Oh, wow. So it is a release, actually. We are, mm-hmm. we are releasing. <laughs> and sounds. Yeah, there's something about sound. It's interesting because for me, it has been so much easier to do guided meditation than the meditation where I'm just silent and they're doing nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. And a lot of people say that. And it's and it's interesting. And I think it's really about figuring out what works for you. Right. And of course, always exploring other forms of meditation to see maybe there's something here that I haven't tried. Maybe there's something there. But if you are getting significant benefit, whether it be for relaxation, for improving your intuition, for opening your third eye, whatever that is, to keep doing it because I think it's a beautiful thing and it's a way to, you know, reduce anxiety to improve your mental health without medications. I love that exploration of different methods, alternative methods, really, besides medication. Do you still prescribe? Is that still necessary in your practice? Yes, yes. I prescribe to about 50% of people and um, to the other 50%, we do therapy, We could do supplements. We do a lot of other things other than prescribing. And so many patients come to my practice specifically to get off medications because they know that I use many different alternative methods, including integrating spiritual perspectives. Uh, This is so necessary. I think I talked recently with somebody who, uh, he's a a doctor in um, 
what do they call those places that people die at? A hospice. Yeah, he's mm-hmm, a hospice mm-hmm. doctor. That's what he's trying to do, get the patients off medication so they can die at peace. They can access consciousness through the dreams and understand them and find meaning and peace at the end of their lives. Yeah, that that's so beautiful. And it's actually yeah. interesting because um, spirituality is something that isn't really embraced by much of medicine except right. in two primary fields. One of them is end of life and hospice care, like the doctor with whom you were speaking. And the other one is actually addiction treatment, which is because AA and a lot of other um, forms of overcoming addiction has these ideas that addiction is something that is bigger than us. And in order to overcome it, we need to surrender it to a power greater than ourselves. So, and, and it's interesting that these are two places where the standard of medical care is a spiritually based model. So in a way, it's the extremes, the end of life or uncontrollable situations like addiction. Yeah, that's uh, very powerful. Yeah, well, how do you define addiction, Dr. Anna? Yeah, well, addiction is, I mean, it depends because there's many forms of addiction. Yeah. There is substance addiction, which could be drug and alcohol addiction. And then there could be behavioral addictions, which could be a sex addiction or an internet addiction or, you know, a workaholism. And then there could also be addiction to certain psychological things. So like a psychological addiction, which is to money, power, status, which none of which are bad in and of themselves, but it becomes an addiction where the more of it that you get, the emptier you feel. And at the end of the day, I would define an addiction as that across the board. It's kind of more of a colloquial definition. I can certainly give you the medical definitions, but basically if the more of something you get, the emptier you feel, you need to consider perhaps I'm addicted. What comes to mind is obsession, the other word for it, being obsessed. Exactly, exactly. And there's so much overlap between obsession and addiction. Exactly. Talk to me for a moment about the connection between spirituality and authenticity. Yeah. And so authenticity, as I see it, is aligning with your soul and starting to connect with the voice of your soul and starting to separate yourself from all the other structures that define you. And that is the expectations of your society, of your community, of your parents, of your spouse, of your children. Really asking yourself the question, who am I and what do I most deeply want? What is it that I've come to this world to do? And the questions to that aren't questions that you can answer through your mind. You have to connect to the deepest part of yourself, the soul. And it's in answering those questions that you can align with your authenticity. Do you believe in life after death, that the soul moves on? absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I certainly don't have proof of that per se, Uh but if we choose what we believe, I would certainly make that choice. So when it comes to asking those questions to the soul and answering them, it seems to me like it takes courage or or trust. And that is the question that I sometimes ask. Would you say it takes courage or trust to live life in such a way? Absolutely, because so many people are living, you know, a life that really isn't their own. And it's it's not to say that they wouldn't necessarily be happy or there's anything wrong with that. Right. But... It's the life that is expected of them and they haven't either had the opportunity or the courage to ask that question of why am I really here? And 
in order to live your soul purpose, you have to align with your authenticity. You have to align with the voice of the soul and to really figure out what is the unique contribution I've come into this world to make. And it means not letting yourself be bullied by the opinions of others, by the choices of others. And just because other people are doing something, not feeling that that's necessarily the right and only way to live and be. And so it's really kind of going into yourself and starting to ask, you know, who am I and what have I come here to do? And honoring that, and that's, that's a hard, scary process sometimes. Some people will never ask that question. Of course, of course. That happens yeah. too, right? Of course, yeah. And exactly. And it's a difficult question to ask. Yeah. And a lot of people, it's either too scary or they're perfectly happy with where they're at. And, and God bless it. That's the case. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But then True. there's other people who have this probing inner feeling that there's something more to life. And often these are the seekers and those are the people that, that it's not only that they want to, but they need to, they desperately need to ask that question and to live in accordance with their, with their true answer. But it takes time though. In my case, it took 37 years to start asking those questions and answering them honestly. And uh, uh, it takes, uh, well, time is relative anyway, because um, this is the idea we have about time, the human mm-hmm, idea. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I have some of those ending questions for you, Dr. Anna. Would you like to add anything that we didn't discuss? Or? No, thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, um, if anyone wants to reach me, they can do so through my website, which is just my name, AnnaYusim.com, A-N-N-A-Y-U-S-I-M.com. And thank you so much, Valeria, for everything that you're doing and for all the beautiful light you're putting into the world. And my last question to you is, what are three things you wish everyone would know before they die, before they lose the body, leave the body? Three things. First is, there's no such thing as failure, that every moment is precious and you can choose to be happy now. And that negative emotions like anger, fear, And things that hold you back are really just illusions and choices. And we can really make a different choice and go in a totally different direction and to do that. And the process to that is forgiveness. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom once again here and your beautiful work of healing and everything else in between that can be felt. (laughs) Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Valeria. You take care. You too. We'll talk soon. Bye for now. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Anna Yusum and her work, please visit AnnaYusum.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.